Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today, what I want to do is talk to you guys about a theme that has been kind of playing out on the podcast for the maybe the last year or so, I would say. And that's really me trying to organize my thoughts of really what I've been able to do over the last, I don't know, couple of decades to set myself up for success. I've I spent a lot of time trying to figure these things out. I've read literally thousands of books in my life, and, and I have my own system of doing things. Now, in episode number 178, I published about 94 things I do to set myself up for success. And this was really one of the most popular episodes of the year. The feedback we got on this one was unbelievable. And I thought it was really interesting because it's not an expat episode. It's not an episode about living overseas or about taxes, about immigration or any of these offshore types of matters. Actually, it was just what I do every single day to set myself up for success. Anyways, it was really a lot of fun to record this episode that I decided to follow it up in episodes 224 and episodes 225 on how I plan out my life and guarantee success. So this was part one and part two. And in this one is really all of the planning that I do to make sure that every single day I have success in my life. Well, today what I want to do is an episode on things that I had to overcome to be successful. You know, I run a successful business. I am a happily married man. I've got two wonderful kids. I've traveled all over the world and I've really been able to do the things that I want. Well, it wasn't always like that. I want to go over some of the things that I had to overcome to become successful. So what we're going to start with in this is learning. Now, most people probably know that I grew up with a learning disability and I got taken out of my neighborhood school and I was on a little white bus and went on a little white bus across town, right? You probably have heard me tell this story. Today, I am not going to retell that story. What I want to explain is some of the other things that maybe I don't cover in that story. So first off, what was my learning disability? You know, I I just say I had a learning disability. Well, it was described to me when I was a child as a form of dyslexia. So most people who think of dyslexia, they just think of someone who reverses the letters or reverses the numbers. So this was 
not so much for me. I mean, this was kind of a piece of it, but really my ability to read as a child was really, really challenging. I remember being in grade one and everyone else, you know, taking turns going around in a circle and reading. And I would be looking at the words and really had no idea about what was going on. And I would just do anything to get out of this. You know, if I knew it was coming up to my turn, I would go to the bathroom or I wasn't feeling well or anything to get out of this. I just couldn't figure out how to read. And when I was in grade three, they actually took me out of my neighborhood school and they sent me to a different school. And this school was a really crummy experience all around. I, I literally hated public school and I hated this special program so much. But when I was a child, they were worried, like, what is wrong with him, basically? You know, is he stupid? Is he, you know, is it something like that? And they actually tested my IQ when I was a child. We had to do a whole bunch of tests. And they told me that my IQ was 147. So certainly not stupid, farthest thing from stupid. However, just reading was just so massively difficult for me. So anyways, I ended up going through this program and eventually dropped out of school because I just had so much problems with learning in this traditional state-run school or government-run school that I stopped going to school at 12 years old and then I dropped out. Now, what happened was because I knew that I was very intelligent, you know, I had been told a million and one times during my childhood that I was extremely intelligent, but it didn't really make any sense to me because I'm like, okay, if I'm so intelligent, then why can't I read? Why do I have so much trouble with this? And there's every other kid that I had met had no problem with this. So I really felt like there was something wrong with me and getting over this stigma that I had attached to me, it took me until my 20s to really get through this and then work through this. Also, the fact that I dropped out of school at such a young age, like today at 40 plus years old, I'm very proud of it. You know, I'm very happy that I had the courage to do these things. But I was when I was in my teenage years or when I was in my 20s, I thought it was something to be ashamed of. I was really down on myself and I would be really depressed about these types of things. And I would never talk about it. You know, I'd be working overseas, working in Australia or working all over the world and I would never talk about it. No one ever knew these types of things. And actually, when I started talking about it, it was probably right around I started this podcast, I would guess. So it's probably been less than 10 years. Maybe it was a few years before I started this podcast. But probably it's only been 10 years that I've been open about the fact that I dropped out of school and that I was a dyslexic and that I had so many problems with learning. And going back to, as I was saying, you know, if I was so smart, then why couldn't I read and write? So then you have this thing, well, if I am so smart, then I should be able to do these things automatically, that I shouldn't have to work at them or train at them or practice them. They should just come naturally, right? So now you have this double-edged sword where, first of all, it's already more difficult, and then you don't put in the time and effort to get over it because you think you're already supposed to be good at it. But anyways, this was just an unbelievable thing in my life to overcome. And it took me probably 20 years to get over this. And it really, at the end, it came down to forgiving myself, forgiving myself for having this learning disability, forgiving myself for not being able to read or understand things that other kids did, and then forgive myself for dropping out you know, these are really complex emotions to go through when you're a child and your brain's not really developed and you don't understand and you, you feel so alone. So this was one of the most 
challenging things that I ever had to go through. Now, I love to read. You know, I, I eventually did learn how to read. I read at a very high level. I've read, I would say, roughly about 3,000 books now in my life. So it's something that I had to work at very hard, but once I figured it out and figured out the way that I'm able to read and the way that my mind works and able to learn, because my brain doesn't learn in the same way, I guess, that everybody else's does, that I was able to actually do these things. Now, I really like audio programs, not most, but probably a solid half of the books that I've ever read in my life are audiobooks and some people don't count these as books. I do. I, I think an audio book, you still have to use your imagination. You still have to focus. You still have to understand in this comprehension, critical thinking. I still consider audible or audio books are downloaded. You know, I started listening to audio books when they were on tape. Can you imagine like cassette tapes on the big stereo? We didn't even have headphones or anything like that at my house. And so I would lay on the couch and listen to audio books when I was a child. And this worked so well for me. So, you know, I've listened to thousands of audiobooks or probably at least, yeah, at least 1,500 audiobooks. If, I, if I've read 3,000 books, probably about 50-50. But as I said, this was one of the major things that I had to overcome was my understanding of learning. Now, why do I tell you all of these story? Why do I go through all of these things? The main thing that it has to do with success is not just, you know, the psychological aspects of forgiving yourself, but more than that, it's how does your brain work? How do you process information? You know, we can all process information as auditory and kinesthetic and different ways that we're going to process information, but there's definitely going to be some type of a strong point for you. Is reading physical books the best way? Is it listening to Audible? Is it watching videos? Is it going through it? Is it the experience? Is it mentorship? Is it studying? Is it courses? Is it university? You know, like what is it that makes sense for you so that you're not on this uphill battle? I was always on, on an uphill battle trying to learn things in traditional state-run schools. They didn't take the time to figure things out because there's only one way to go about it in their system. So as I figured this out, I was able to figure out what way speaks to me. And then I was able to process information at a really incredible rate. Like right now, I listen to audiobooks at usually 3x speed. Same with podcasts. I listen to all my podcasts at 3x. And that's because that's what they max out on. Actually, I do have one program. It's not Audible, but it's another one. And it goes up to 3.5. So I listen to my books at 3.5 because my ability to process information from voice, from audio is, I would say, really, really high, above average for most people, which also allows me to consume massive amounts of content and understand it in a short amount of time. Like if you think that an audiobook is probably, let's say, 10 hours long, you know, on average, a nonfiction type of uh, business book at 10 hours, I think is pretty standard. So if you're doing it at 3x speed or 3.5x speed, I mean, I can plow through a book in a, just over three hours, which means that, you know, I study three to four hours a night, five, six nights a week for 20 years straight that's a lot of books. So I usually read about 100 books a year, and this is one of the main ways that I'm able to go about it. The other piece of understanding information is once you've built up a basis of knowledge on a certain subject, 
when you're listening or reading or, or consuming content about that, you don't have to do all of that legwork. There's a certain amount of shorthand that goes into it. So you're really looking for just those little gems. So say, for example, that I'm listening or reading to a book on economics. Okay, I have a very firm background in economics. I've listened and read hundreds of books about economics. I can pick up a new economics book and plow through it really, really fast because it's, the, it's not the first time I've listened to types of things like this. Now, now, if I were to pick something completely different, I have no idea. Like, I don't know, what's something random? A book on dentistry. I know nothing about dentistry, like absolutely nothing. So if I were to learn something about dentistry, I would be starting from scratch. Probably I would not be listening to it at three times speed. I would be listening to it much slower because every single piece of information would be completely new to me. So as I was saying, going back full circle, sorry for, for ranting on this a lot, but basically it comes down to how do you process information? And once you understand these things, learning how to learn, then everything else falls into place very quickly. And when I decided that I really wanted to understand the world and consume content and go through it, I spent a lot of time on learning how to learn, how not just how my brain works, but what is the best practices? What is the most efficient and effective way? Not just what is taught in school, but the best people in the world, peak performers. How do people understand these types of concepts and really shortcut things? So I read hundreds of books just on this to set myself up for learning. And this comes down to becoming successful. Okay, moving on. So that was number one. Number one was what I had to overcome was learning. Number two is health. I had some massive health problems in my life that I want to kind of tell you about because I don't know if everybody knows some of the things that I went through in my life. But health has always been really important to me. First off the bat, I've always been extremely athletic. Now, I am not a big guy farthest from that. I mean, I'm not, I'm average height. I'm not a very big guy. I have a slight bone structure. You know, I'm not, not a big guy. I was probably the smallest guy in my school or maybe one of three small guys in my class or in the, in the school at my age group. However, health was always very important to me and sports were always very important to me. So I actually did martial arts at a very high level pretty much my entire life until I left Canada. So I started karate when I was six years old and I took to it very, very fast. And I just fell in love with martial arts. And I didn't finish until I was about 17, which is when I moved overseas and I started really traveling. And now when I did martial arts, because I was born in the early 80s, I'm, I'm a millennial. I know, don't hate me for it, but I'm kind of one of the first couple of years of being a millennial. And martial arts there was really no career or focus or or anything you could do in your life with martial arts besides maybe own a dojo or if you were going to go into acting and you wanted to be a stunt double or something like that, then maybe martial arts. It wasn't much later until UFC became popular and this fighting style just became massive. Like the only fighting that was kind of as a sport was really just boxing, you know, and I didn't do boxing. I did what we would now consider mixed martial arts. I studied in a few different styles of martial arts and I just loved it. I, I did really well. And I actually was on Team Canada for martial arts. 
But what happened was after I stopped going to karate and I started traveling and I, I really found traveling and I thought, wow, this is what I want to do with my life. I like, I found my people, the, them's my peeps, you know? And I was traveling through Europe. It was the second time. I was probably about 19 years old and I was going all around Western Europe. So this was the UK and France and Belgium and Spain and Portugal and all these kinds of countries. And I ran out of money. I had no more money, but I didn't want to go back. I had a return ticket back to Canada like a couple months out. So I ended up going over to Morocco. I was, yeah, probably about 19 years old and I fell in love with Morocco. I thought this is such a rad city. There's a rad country. There's just so much going on here. And I visited like 20, 22 different towns and cities. I actually took a camel across the Sahara Desert to Algeria and back. It took me three days on a camel. And this was back in, yeah, early, early, early 2000s and traveled around. But I was in, I think it was Marrakesh, Marrakesh Robot or it wasn't Fez. I think it was Marrakesh where I was. Yeah. And I ate some food off of the street and I like, you know, street meat or something like that. And I got so sick. Now, when I say I got sick, like I am not exaggerating. I remember praying to Jesus to die. I wasn't even at the point where it was like, please make me better or anything like that. I was so sick. I just wanted to die. I was staying at a youth hostel because once again, I had very little money. It was a dormitory room. I think there's probably about like 16 or 18 beds in this one youth hostel. And for the next three days, I was basically fluids coming out of every part of my body. And I was so ill. I, I didn't have any insurance. I didn't have any money to go to the doctor. I didn't have the will or the energy. I didn't speak the language. I was so dehydrated. I was like delusional on what was happening. Like I was seeing things. It was so brutal. Eventually, after a couple of days, someone took me to the doctor and they gave me antibiotics and I started to get a little bit better. Then I continued my travels and I started having these stomach problems. And I went, eventually made it back to Canada several months later and I went and saw the doctor and they gave me more antibiotics. And I still kept having stomach problems. And then what would happen is maybe I would get a little bit better and then I would discontinue it. And then a couple months later, I would start having stomach problems again. Anyways, this went on for years. I, I ended up getting food poisoning several other times. I ended up getting food poisoning and dysenteries when I lived in Guatemala a couple times. I think I got while I was in Honduras. This was back in like 2004, maybe. Yeah, 2004, 2005, during those years of traveling. And I just had these terrible, terrible stomach problems. Well, eventually, let's see if I can get the dates right. 2005, I lived in New Zealand for a year. 2006, I moved to Australia. And I had a job and I was earning a little bit of money and I was still having stomach problems. So this has probably been going on for four, probably five years at this point. That means that every single thing that I would eat within three hours, I would be in the bathroom. And I wanted to figure out what was going on. So without any insurance, I would go to the hospital. Actually, a couple of times I got checked into emergency. I remember I went to Vanuatu and I ended up getting food poisoning again. I got really, really sick and I came back. I think I was drinking called cassava and I don't know what was going on, but I ended up 
having to go to emergency because of my stomach the one time. And they started running tests on me and I had to pay cash for everything and I didn't have enough money. So I was like almost, you know, the the medical bankruptcy that you read about, that was like me, like my medical bills were piling up. And I had, I ended up having a CAT scan, an MRI, a deworming, blood work like a dozen times, a colonoscopy, a gastroscopy, just so many medical procedures when I lived in, in Melbourne, Australia. And I didn't know what to do. My weight had just dropped. Like my weight was nothing. I was about 50, 51 kilos and I'm five foot eight. So I'm not, I'm not short, short. I'm not tall by any means, but I was just like a skeleton. There was just nothing there to me. And every time I ate something, I was in the washroom. So I couldn't process my food correctly. And they couldn't figure out what was going on. And I kept food journals and I went to dietitians and all of these things. And they couldn't figure out anything. For those interested in moving to another country, I highly recommend learning the local language before you arrive. After traveling for the last 23 years straight, I have seen many people fall into the expat bubble trap. This is where you move to a new country and you only talk to people from the USA or Canada and you are unable to make local friends. The best way to combat this is by having an understanding of the local language. And the best program I have ever seen for this is storylearningcourses.com. These are the programs I use to go from very crummy language skills to fluent in no time flat. The courses are fun and easy to understand and most importantly, really work. No matter where you are in your language learning abilities, go to storylearningcourses.com. That's storylearningcourses.com to learn more. So fast forward a couple of years, I continued to go through all of this. And then I moved to the UAE in 2011, I think. Yeah, because 2006 to 2009, I was in Australia. Then 2009, 2010, I lived in Singapore for a year. And then I was in the Arctic for 366 days. And as soon as I moved to the UAE, I got connected with this bodybuilding coach. I really desperately wanted to put on weight. As I was talking about before, I was always very much into fitness and to health. And I always wanted to be big and strong, you know, like what guy doesn't want to be big and strong? So I hired a bodybuilding coach and I had always been focusing on going to the gym and eating more protein, eating more protein and, you know, lifting heavier weights, even though I was so small, you know, I thought that this was the way that I was going to be able to gain weight. And by chance, he ended up putting me on a gluten-free diet. And what he did was, it was actually a carb cycling diet. So say like, I think it was like Monday to Saturday or Monday to Friday, something like this, no carbs whatsoever. And then one day a week, you get to have a cheat meal. So that's what I did. I was eating a lot of healthy fats and nuts and protein and things like this. And then on the weekend, I would get to have a carb refeed day. And so I think the first week I had you know, a giant pizza all to myself. And then the next day I was like in the fetal position, curled up in a ball, like feeling absolutely horrible. And then I would go back to having no carbs for a week and uh, start to feel a little bit better. Not, not fantastic by any means, but a little bit better. And then the following weekend, I think I had like a big spaghetti bolognese type of meal. And once again, in the fetal position, just praying to die, just awful, completely wiped me out. Well, it only took a couple of weeks for me to figure out that this was the problem. Now, I don't understand why in 2006 and things like that, the doctors were not diagnosed me, but we basically figured out 
it was celiac disease. Now, the problem with celiac disease is that you can actually develop what's called, I think the name is called leaky gut syndrome, which is this permeability in your intestines. And when you have this, you'll actually have food, because of the inflammation, you can have food that goes into your intestinal lining and cause additional problems. So I ended up getting like a massive amount of foods that I became allergic to, things that I was never allergic to before. So although I had the main problem with wheat, I started having problems with eggs and dairy and I don't know, just so many other things. But once I removed all of this gluten from my diet, things started to get a lot better. And a lot of these food allergies and sensitivities and problems started to disappear. And I went from weighing 51 kilos to weighing over 70 kilos, so probably close to 50 pounds in almost three months. My weight just skyrocketed. Imagine that, 51 kilos to, I think I maxed out at about well, not maxed out because I ended up getting much bigger after that. But I think I went up to about 72 or 73 kilos in about three or four months. So it was completely life-changing. Basically, what happened was I would eat something and my body would actually digest it. People don't understand, but it, it usually takes 18 to 24 hours for you to digest food. So if you eat something and in three hours it comes out the other end, that ain't good. That's not how it's supposed to work. But everything changed in my life once I was able to overcome this health issue, once I figured out what was going on with my health and that I was a celiac and that I could not have gluten. So not only did my weight increase and not only was I not spending hours in the bathroom every day, but on top of that, my mind became a lot more clear. I was able to think more clearly. I was able to process information and learn things a lot better because I wasn't dealing with this chronic inflammation that I had in my body. You know, I remember when I was in Australia, just one quick side story here before we move on. I remember when I was in Australia... I went to go to the bar one day and I had a backpack with me and the bouncer checked my bag. You know, they, they always check to make sure, you know, you're not, I don't know, bringing in your own booze or something like that. And he opened up my backpack and I had rolls of toilet paper in there. And he's like, like, what the hell is this? And I was like, listen, mate, I've got a bowel disease. You know, I always, I used to think it was IBS, you know, irritable bowel syndrome. And, you know, and I used to have to carry around toilet paper everywhere that I went. Pretty embarrassing for a 20-something-year-old guy, right? But these are the types of things that I had to deal with as I was traveling around the world. And I had no family with me. I had no one to support me. The internet, you know, existed, but it wasn't like it was right now. People didn't understand these types of things. And the access to information was a lot more difficult. But this is what I had to deal with. So, you know, overcoming these health challenges and the clarity of thought and my ability to process information went up drastically when I dealt with all of these health issues. So that is number two on the things that I really had to overcome to set myself up for success. Okay, moving on. The third massive thing that I had to overcome in my life was certain relationships. Now, I don't want to get into all the stories about this one. I'm going to make this one a little bit shorter. But basically, I had some really toxic relationships in my life. I dealt with a woman for many years. I was with her and she was extraordinarily jealous. Literally everything that I would do, she would accuse me of being unfaithful. And the funny thing was, 
I actually wasn't. I was actually very faithful, but I got treated that I wasn't. And it just caused so many problems. We just fought and fought and fought. I had another relationship before that that was also really, really bad. I mean, I just had years and years and years of relationships with women who were not good for me in any shape or fashion. And it caused so much drama in my life that my ability to build a business or to improve myself was really hampered because we would spend hours fighting and and going through things. Now, when I actually ended one of the relationships and it was my decision to go through it, I was reeling afterwards. You know, I had been with this girl for, I think, four years at that point. And I thought that this was who I was supposed to be with. Despite all of the problems, I thought that was kind of normal. I thought it was normal to fight with your partner, a daily, weekly, you know, type of basis. That was just how life was. We were just going through a rough patch, but everything would be okay. And, you know, if we had gotten married, then everything, you know, would have worked out. But I didn't know any better. You know, after 10, 15 years of things like this with different women, I thought that's how life was supposed to be. But then I met my wife, my wife who I am with today and, and the only woman I will ever be with again. And she was the, and I I say this very lovingly, she's the only non-crazy woman that I've ever been with. I really look back now and see the toxic relationship I had with all of the other women. And, you know, I'm not blaming them or I'm copping out or saying everything was their fault. I don't think that at all. I'm sure loads of it was my fault, you know, my inability to have a proper relationship or how I was supposed to behave or, you know, how to be a good partner. You know, I had many failings in that regard. I would not claim otherwise. But I met my wife and funny story, we we met on an airplane. We were going to Germany. I won't tell that story here. Ask me if we meet up one day and we go for dinner or something, it's a pretty funny story. But I met my wife and we got very serious very fast. But at the very beginning, I explained to her, I had just gotten out of a serious relationship, you know, a month or two earlier and I was still reeling, you know, I, I, I was still very upset about this. I thought I wanted just to be free and have no attachments. And I told her I was not looking for anything serious. And my wife, who is is absolutely my hero, she turned to me and said, I am looking for something serious. And I looked at her and I was like, wow, here is this absolutely stunning, gorgeous woman in front of me. She is amazing. She's traveled all over the world. She speaks, well, I guess that time spoke three languages fluently. She's done all of these types of things. And she's just so incredible. And here she is, you know, after a couple of days saying that she is looking for something serious and she wants to be with me and she wants to start a family, something that I had wanted to do since I was a child. Since I was 12 years, since I was a child, I wanted to have children. I mean, I always knew that being a father was one of the most important things that I would do with my life. And I never had kids. It never worked out with any of the other women. And I got this gorgeous woman in front of me and I'm about to throw it away because I'm still upset about a failed relationship. Geez, I had to give my head a shake over that one. My goodness, what am I doing? I'm almost about to let this woman go here. And I'm glad that I did give myself a, a my head a shake. And I'm glad that my wife had the courage to stand up and tell me exactly what she wanted, you know, at that time. Long story short, we've been married now for over eight years. Still at this point, 
we've never had a big fight. I'm not to say that we've never had a disagreement or anything like that, but we've never yelled at each other. We've never sworn at each other. We've never raised our voices or anything like that. If we have a disagreement about something, we just talk about it. What I have really learned is an age-old saying, which is happy wife, happy life. And it is so true. My goodness, I am just you know, I, I don't worry now about being right. If we have a disagreement about things, it's not important for me to be right about it. I want my wife to be happy and I want to protect her feelings. And with that, it gives me a lot of stability in my life. And, you know, I also find this with my daughter as well. I find that I really need to protect her feelings. And it's not about being right or teaching a lesson. You know, it's about how she deals with things and the emotional state. So instead of scolding, you know, my daughter or, or having a fight with my wife, you know, I will really try to sit down and talk to them sweetly and calmly and go through it and try to understand things from their point of view and give them time and discuss it at the pace that they're ready. Even if they don't understand it or it doesn't make sense, it's my inability to explain things or to express myself usually that is the problem. So I try to be really, really patient with them. And what this has allowed is as I've done this and, and become a better husband, a better father, a better son, everything has changed in my life. And this is another one of those things that I had to go through. I had to go through all of these toxic relationships. I had to go through all of these bad experiences and overcome all of that to meet my wife and to build a, a successful family. And when you put this in conjunction with the other things that I've talked about today, which is overcoming how to learn and all of my problems with dyslexia and all of the problems with being a celiac and being sick for 10 years and going through all of this and then going through all of these toxic relationships. This has been kind of like the trifecta in my life. Once I overcame all three of these things, everything really changed. When I overcome the learning, I became a little bit more successful. I was able to do a little bit more. When I overcame the health, you know, I got a little bit more money, a little bit more wealth, a little bit more things came into clarity and focus. And then when I got this relationship and I figured out how to be a successful husband and deal with these situations and not be fighting all the time or dealing with jealousy or anything like that, it was just like, boom, Everything just clicked and I'm just going from success to success. Like I'm now running a multi-million dollar business helping people to move overseas. And I love the work. Like I just find it the most rewarding, phenomenal work. And just to, to see people go through this experience and help them through it and to be there at just such critical moments in people's lives and support them through it is just so rewarding to me. I just go crazy for it. I just, I can't get enough of it. You know, I just absolutely love it. And with that, and all of these things that I've had to overcome, the money has come. Like it's really, the success has been there. And we've been able to acquire a lot of investments and I've been able to give back. And now we've got a full staff. We got 18 full-time staff members for the business. So now they're doing valuable work and they're helping. I'm helping them to find their life's purpose. And they understand the goals and the objectives of our business and what we're trying to accomplish here. And everything has just come together when I was able to overcome these three things. So that's it. That is the episode. That is what I wanted to talk to you guys about. And I hope you enjoyed this. These were some of the personal stories in my life. And I and I don't think I shared 
any of these things or maybe a lot of them in other episodes. So let me know if you guys enjoyed this episode. If you guys want me to do another episode on success, I'll be thinking about it over the next several months. You know, maybe once a year or once every six months or something like that, I'll try to do an episode of success. And it doesn't really fit into the expat and offshore space, but at the same time, I think it does. You know, I'm here to help people. And really, as I've said a thousand and one times on this program, the program is about freedom. And if you are a slave to a toxic relationship or you are having massive health problems or you are not able to learn or process information or you are still upset about things and you haven't forgiven yourself about things from your teenage years, how are you going to have freedom? And that's it. Anyways, guys, I love you all. I will talk to you soon. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next week on the podcast, 6 a.m. Wednesday morning. Have a great week. Bye. Schooling for international families has always been a massive problem in the expat space. Families move around, change countries, and the kids never get to build solid relationships. Sometimes families even end up having to head home because there is not a viable option for education. Together with my business partner, Michael Strong, we have a goal to change this. At expatschool.io, we have world-class programs for children between the ages of 8 and 19. Our virtual school is a thriving community of happy, bright, and adventurous children. Go to expatschool.io to learn more about our program for your children or grandchildren. That's expatschool.io. Expatschool.io. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.